Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. Back in mid-December, I was listening to The Charlie Kirk Show, and he had on a guest named Bill Federer. They talked about Montesquieu's three types of government and the motivation each one uses to ensure its continued existence. That conversation, based on political philosophy from 300 years ago, is highly relevant to what's happening now. This is going to start out a little academic, but hang with me. It sets the groundwork for something really important. Montesquieu's first form of government is a republic. The people are sovereign, and power is checked at every angle. Only a virtuous people can maintain a republic. If the people are not virtuous and especially if the leadership isn't, the powers of government will be used to enrich those who are in power and enslave those who are not. The motivation for living virtuously is the continued blessings of liberty. Only through ethical and moral living can a people self-govern. Otherwise, they must be governed. Tacitus said, the more corrupt the state, the more numerous the laws. A republic, which is a representative form of government, becomes corrupt in proportion to its citizens. Unfortunately, once a republic is corrupted, there's a great deal of work to be done if it's to be reclaimed. Corrupt leadership will conspire to support each other in their power, crimes, and abuses. If the Republic is not reclaimed by a repentant people, it devolves into despotism. Montesquieu's second form of government is monarchy. The monarch is sovereign, but only with the support of the nobility. Monarchy is characterized by a king supported by a loyal nobility. That loyalty is purchased through honors. Disloyalty is punished with disfavor. Honor and shame are the driving motivations. Put another way, the driving motivators are hope and fear. Hope for honors, fear of shame. Federer suggested that virtue doesn't necessarily play a role. If you gain favor, even through immoral or illegal means, you're still gaining favor. If you lose favor, even if your actions were ethical, you lose favor. The monarch's power is dependent on favor with the majority of the nobility, and the nobility's power is dependent on favor with the monarch. It's an arrangement of mutual support. Montesquieu's third form of government is despotism. Despotism is power through fear. The despot, or despotic party, is sovereign, with no checks on their power. Motivation is debased to its lowest form, pleasure and pain. If you're loyal, you may get power and property. If you incur the despot's disfavor, you will incur pain. Maybe you go to a camp. Maybe you lose your stuff. Maybe your hand. Maybe you're taken to the wall and shot. In the end, your rise or fall is entirely dependent on the whims of the despot. This is the extreme end of authoritarianism. Our nation began as a republic. The need for virtue, from the beginning, was readily recognized, and even vocalized publicly by Benjamin Franklin. The Constitution provided checks and hedges against tyranny by drawing thick lines dividing what government could and could not do. Increasingly, private industry and government have got themselves deeper and deeper in bed together. Big business donates to campaigns, promotes certain candidates, censors others, and hires those politicians when they retire or get caught doing something they shouldn't have. This ensures that the right politicians get rich, remain in power, and have a golden parachute. In exchange, 
government awards those big businesses grants and contracts, enacts regulation that cuts out competition, and passes legislation that protects them. This ensures that big businesses continue to grow and are protected from both competition and the consequences of poor management. Doubt me? Explain Pacific Gas and Electric. Both business and government are supposed to serve the people. Business through goods and services, and government through protection of our rights and liberties. They are both cheating on us with each other. Throughout history, people have been abused by monarchical and despotic governments. The express purpose of the Constitution was to protect against those abuses. Our government's scope is clearly defined and cannot constitutionally be expanded. Emphasis on constitutionally. Some lines have already been crossed. The most important ones, however, have proven more stubborn. For now. The left is drawing on all the proven classic tactics of the despots of old in their attempt to shape the world in their image. But this time, they can't get the whole job done with just government control. This is where the perverse relationship between our government and big business comes into play. The left is reinstituting the old guard carrots and sticks of honor and shame, pleasure and pain. They can't do it through government, so they're using business and social controls. Right now, our government can't stop dissenting ideas. They can't stop people from communicating. They can't censor ideas, nor can they make people too afraid of those ideas to share them. They threw Dinesh D'Souza in jail, but it didn't even slow down the influence of his ideas. Generally speaking, they can't stop people from banking or getting a good job. They can't make people's friends abandon them. They can't hide journalism. Constitutional boundaries have, thus far, successfully prevented these things. This is where their illicit lover comes in. Big businesses control legacy media, all of the major online communication platforms, banking, and most of commerce. More and more, the narrative is becoming, do what you're told, or we'll refuse you service. In the 40s and 50s, it was, if you're black, no service. Now it's, if you're conservative, no service. In so many words, the left is saying, we don't serve your kind here. The real message is, conform, or stop existing. There's no place here for opposing ideas. Right now, the left is focusing nearly all its efforts on speech, the free dissemination of information and ideas. This is one of the critical points for authoritarian control. According to Breitbart, GoDaddy, an Amazon partner, has retracted domain name hosting for AR15.com, the world's largest firearms forum. This means no more website. Gone. The site did not engage in any nefarious activity. GoDaddy and Amazon simply took advantage of current events and public sentiment to rid the world of something they didn't like. Parler is a competitor to Twitter and has been gaining momentum at an incredible pace as people flee big tech censorship. Amazon Web Hosting, which houses nearly half the information on the internet now, shut down Parler's hosting, and Google and Apple both removed the app from their app stores. Again, no more website, no more app. Gone. Parler committed no crime. They did nothing wrong. They simply threatened big tech's control over speech. Amazon claims Parler was responsible for allowing the Capitol riot to be planned on their platform. But according to several sources, including USA Today, violent rhetoric including threats against elected officials and police officers flooded all social media platforms including Facebook, Twitter, and Google's YouTube. Glenn Greenwald, one of the most influential journalists of our time, tweeted, Do you know how many people arrested in connection with the Capitol invasion were active users of Parler? Zero. The planning was largely done on Facebook. This is all pretext for silencing competitors on ideological grounds. Just the start. Amy Peikoff, Chief Policy Officer at Parler, 
went on The Glenn Beck Show and stated that big tech had pressured them to adopt the same algorithm-driven censorship or be deplatformed. An algorithm approach, as is used by Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, scans everything written, shown, or said on the site. Parler does police illegal speech on their site, but Peacock said that they refused to adopt an approach that invaded privacy to that extent. Parler CEO John Matz has stated that Parler was asked several times by big tech whether or not the president intended to transition onto their platform. He stated in a court filing, I believe AWS's decision to terminate service to Parler was based not on expressed concerns about Parler's compliance with the AWS agreement, but in part on a desire to deny President Trump a platform on any large social media service. Again, big tech saw an opportunity to get rid of something they didn't like, this time speech they don't control, and competition. According to a new court filing, Matz and his family have had to leave his home and go into hiding with his family after receiving death threats and invasive personal security breaches. The left has mobilized against Parler with such ferocity that the CEO and his family are now in hiding. It's not good enough to silence dissent. It has to be utterly destroyed. Trending Politics reported that when President Trump released a video asking everyone to stop the Capitol riot and go home, Twitter immediately blocked it and any ability to like or retweet it. They report that it carried the notification, This claim of election fraud is disputed, and this tweet can't be replied to, retweeted, or liked due to risk of violence. Here's the audio from the entire video. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. Go home in peace. That's what was so dangerous it warranted an immediate ban? No. They simply got rid of something they didn't like. That video was masterful. Had he told them what they were doing was wrong and they needed to stop, in their anger, they would have turned on him, ignored his pleas, and probably been even more enraged at the perceived betrayal. Break it down. What did he do? He identified with them, validated their feelings, told them that even though their feelings were valid, this wasn't the right way to handle it, and then called for peace and presented an alternative course. Textbook de-escalation. And what did the leftist platforms do with that? They didn't want the president to have a voice. So they took it from him. They didn't even allow him to encourage peace. Here's a throwback from Forbes. Facebook is blocking COVID-19 posts from fact-based sources. It's the day after Facebook, along with Google, Twitter, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Reddit, issued a joint statement on combating misinformation on their platforms. Yes, they are working together. Back in June, Real Clear Politics reported, Facebook and YouTube banned video of doctors talking COVID. Silence doctors hold press conference. And more recently from the New York Post, YouTube to remove videos with misinformation about COVID vaccines. The Honest headline would read, 
YouTube to remove videos they don't like about COVID vaccines. Some of the doctors from the June conference have lost their jobs for speaking out. The left cannot tolerate dissent. It's not good enough to silence it. The dissenters must be utterly destroyed. The real question is, why the demand for conformity over a disease that we still don't really understand? We don't know, with any acceptable degree of certainty, how it got into the human population. We don't understand why different people have such wildly varying symptoms. We don't even have a solid answer on transmission. What possible purpose could conformity serve in such ambiguous conditions? Now let's take a look at financial transactions. The big news in finance right now is Deutsche Bank dropping the president as a client. But that's a singular example. Back in July, Fox News reported on the financial community's war on guns. They said, It's a slow and steady form of gun control gradually gaining momentum with limited public fanfare. If guns cannot be directly taken from the hands of citizens, the next best target is the banks and financial institutions that enable transactions or loans for the industry. Financial activism by banks is by far one of the largest emerging threats against Second Amendment rights. Philip Watson, founder of Washington Public Relations and a Second Amendment advocate, told Fox News. The federal government allows the financial industry to receive vast amounts of federal funds. However, those exact same funds free up their balance sheets enough to discriminate and play politics. There it is. The federal government is providing these institutions with enough money that they no longer have to make decisions based on financial risk, but can sit comfortably playing politics and creating de facto gun bans. What the left cannot accomplish through government, they will through big business. And vice versa. The article continues, and it gets even better. Some argue it has reached a ridiculous point. Miles Vinning, founder of the SELA Report, a non-commercial research center that explores contemporary and historical small arms and light weapons in the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asian regions, and draws its revenue from its selling mostly wraps and patches, said that they were suddenly slapped down by PayPal last month. PayPal canceled my business and personal accounts because of a Velcro patch that we were selling through our web store, Vinning said. It was in the shape of a firearm. The left wants to control all guns, apparently even the Velcro pictures of them. They can only go so far with legislation, so they got creative in the private sector. Ta-da! First and Second Amendments violated in one move. Kurt Schilling is a Boston Red Sox legend from the 90s and early 2000s, and an outspoken Trump supporter. As reported by Breitbart, he claims that AIG canceled his insurance over his conservative social media posts. He tweeted out, We'll be just fine, but we wanted to let Americans know that AIG Insurance canceled our insurance due to my, quote, social media profile. This is reaching a fever pitch where businesses are targeted and destroyed, people are silenced in the public commons, legal and legitimate financial transactions are blocked, people and businesses are being denied services because of their political views, and ordinary people, by the thousands, are being unceremoniously deplatformed and silenced online because they don't march in time with the left. People like Kurt Schilling probably will be fine. Major League Baseball players do pretty okay for themselves financially. There's some breathing room there. But what about the average person? What happens when insurance carriers drop driver's car insurance over their Facebook posts? When a 20-something working their way through college shows up at work to a pink slip and a don't let the door hit you on the way out after a friend posts a photo of them wearing the wrong political apparel? What happens when you've used your Facebook login for all your affiliate site logins and then Facebook deplatforms you because you liked the wrong conservative causes? If targeted, the average small business owner would lose everything. Their livelihood, their home, their savings, everything. If their financial institutions cut them off, 
if they lose the lease on their business space because their insurance carrier dropped them for political reasons, or if they're denied the ability to advertise where people can find them. Leanne Miller of PatrioticMe.com went on the Glenn Beck radio show Friday after she was banned from advertising on Facebook. Her site sells America-themed apparel, things like t-shirts with American flags on them, or sweatshirts that say America on them in cursive. Nothing controversial, or at least, nothing that should be controversial. Appreciating America now appears to be a leftist taboo as well. How many people have we come across who were fired from a teaching position or their cubicle job at a left-leaning company for posting support for the president on social media or for Proposition 8, legally defining marriage as between one man and one woman? How many people are going to lose their jobs for dissenting against what total Democrat control of D.C. is about to bring? It's not just jobs they go after. The left wields shame like a hammer. We're social creatures by nature, and we crave the company of others. When the left can make viewpoints they don't like taboo, and dissenters are deplatformed, depersoned, and cut off from regular forms of communication and inclusion, not only are they cut off from access to their social circles, but may also find themselves abandoned by their peers for fear of accusations of guilt by association. Right now, we're suffering from come-for-me-last syndrome. Many people seem to think that if they just keep their heads down, there will be too many people in line ahead of them, and they'll be safe. That's the thinking of a people already sufficiently divided to conquer. The tactic here is fear. Fear is a powerful motivator. Monarchs and despots love fear. It keeps people in line. If you're afraid you'll lose your friends or family, your livelihood, your home, your children, if you say something the left doesn't like, there's a good chance you won't say it. You'll be a good little citizen and do as you're told. The American government could never wield this kind of power under constitutional restraints. But big business is allowed, because no one is stopping them. Who's going to stop them? The power players in government are in bed with them. And, continuing the analogy, there are dirty blackmail photos. What one cannot do to achieve the left's despotic ends, it empowers the other to do. The left has a working model for circumventing constitutional protections. Then, of course, there's the election coverage. Or perhaps I should say the election coverage failure. Town Hall reported on the effect censorship of the Biden scandals had on the election. The article states, Media Research City pulled over a thousand Biden supporters from several key states. Here's what MRC found. We tested these voters' knowledge of eight news stories, all important topics that our ongoing analysis had shown the liberal news media had failed to cover properly. We found that a huge majority, 82%, of Biden voters were unaware of at least one of these key items with 5% saying they were unaware of all eight of the issues we tested. This lack of information proved crucial. One of every six Biden voters we surveyed, 17%, said they would have abandoned the Democrat candidate had they known the facts about one or more of these news stories. A shift of this magnitude would have changed the outcome in all six of the swing states won by Joe Biden, and Donald Trump would have comfortably won a second term as president. According to our poll, full awareness of the Hunter Biden scandal would have led 9.4% of Biden voters to abandon the Democrat candidate, flipping all six of the swing states he won to Trump, giving the president 311 electoral votes. So big business threw the election for Biden. They censored information critical to voters and threw the election by a minimum of 9%. It wasn't just choosing not to report on it. The New York Post article was actively suppressed. This is something the government could never have done on its own. Certainly no candidate could have done this on their own, but the collusion of leftist government and leftist business accomplished it handily. Then, after perpetrating that offense, they turn around and target anyone who questions the results. From NBC News, Facebook bans all Stop the Steal content. 
Facebook said Monday that it will begin removing any content that includes the phrase Stop the Steal from its platforms, expanding its efforts to limit the spread of election misinformation. There they go again, calling anything they don't like misinformation. China should be a warning for us. What is officially sanctioned and established there today is in the development stages here today. In China, the CCP has implemented an official system of social credit. This again hails back to the systems of honor and shame. According to an October 2018 article by Business Insider, the social credit system first announced in 2014 aims to reinforce the idea that keeping trust is glorious and breaking trust is disgraceful, according to a government document. Honor and shame. If you do what you're told, your social credit score increases and you have access to better housing, better banking, better jobs, better food, nicer things. If your social credit score decreases, you lose access to those things. And worse. The New York Post reported on this almost two years ago, back in May of 2019. The article begins, Imagine calling a friend, only instead of hearing a ringtone, you hear a police siren, and then a voice intoning, Be careful in your dealings with this person. Would that put a damper on your relationship? It's supposed to. Haven't we seen this on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for months? Posts and videos are labeled with warnings, fact checks, in air quotes, and pop-ups asking, are you sure you want to read what this person is saying? We've determined they're not trustworthy. The article continues further down the page. The government claims that its purpose is to enhance trust and social stability by creating a culture of sincerity that will restore social trust. And in the spirit of restoring social trust, You can increase your social score through incentives like Individuals can earn points, for example, for reporting those who violate the new restrictions on religious practice, such as Christians who illegally meet to pray in private homes. Didn't we see something like this recently? Oh yeah, Christians and Jews alike, gathering in small groups to worship and having their neighbors rat them out at the behest of the local mayor or governor. The social credit score is here. It's just not publicly quantified. Between big tech big business, and big government, the left has it covered. Back to the Business Insider article, good social credit will get you access to flights, better internet, better schools, better jobs, and better hotels. The antithesis to the blacklist is a good credit list that will get you discounts on your utilities, rentals without deposits, better interest rates with the banks, and even more matches on dating apps. Honor and shame, pleasure and pain. Here's the best part. On his website, Biden has called for the creation of a public credit reporting agency that will adjudicate scores based on social justice factors. Back in October, Politico quoted Ricardo Sanchez, a spokesperson for Representative Ayanna Presley, Democrat from Massachusetts, who sponsored the legislation. In this country, your credit score is your reputation. Indeed it is, which is why I really don't want my reputation adjudicated based on race and supposed privilege by a social justice bureaucrat. Anyone out there think that putting your reputation in the hands of the same people who brought you the DMV and multi-generational welfare, and who can't tolerate any degree of dissent, is a good idea? When I was in school, we had to do some hands-on training outside the classroom. For reasons unknown to me, the school decided to put scheduling, for the site I was assigned to, in the hands of one of my classmates. This individual wasn't my biggest fan. I ended up with several weeks of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, night shift. Those of you out there who have ever worked nights at any job just cringed a little, didn't you? There's no opportunity to transition back to daylight or do any regular business or shopping or to associate with anyone except on shift, even on days off. 
Imagine someone like that wielding power over your mortgage, or whether or not you get a phone. If you think no one would do something like that, who do you think turned in their neighbors to be sent to the Soviet gulags? People were often falsely accused, their accusers knowing they would be sent to hard labor and likely death because their neighbor wanted their wife or their house. Solzhenitsyn gives the account of a young bride who was sent to the camps and suffered terribly on the way on account of her youth and beauty. I'll leave it to you to infer the full implications of that statement. Who was accused and testified against by her boss, who wanted her, whose advances she had rebuffed. Generally, those kinds of selfish, greedy motivations appear to have been the rule, not the exception. There's a reason our founding fathers went to such lengths separating and checking power and drawing lines around government authority. Back to Politico and the proposed Social Justice Credit Bureau. The article later states, The proposals died in the Senate, but Democrats want to resurrect them if they're in control of Congress next year. Guess what? The Democrats now control Congress and the White House. The left's successes have emboldened them, where, in large measure, they have to rely on big business and big tech to subvert our First Amendment rights. Now they're confident enough, in places, to try strictly government controls. Not only have we seen religious targeting from lockdowns, but now we are going to get First Amendment zones. From Fox News, two areas in downtown Washington, D.C. will be designated as First Amendment zones. The groups will have 100 people, and individuals will be screened through magnetometers and escorted by the U.S. Parks Police to the designated area to facilitate First Amendment rights. Considering what's happened of late, this might seem prudent, but let me break this down. They're creating two spaces, enough room for 200 people, in which First Amendment rights exist. That means that the event organizers, elected representatives, and unelected bureaucrats are deciding where you do and do not have First Amendment rights. Let that sink in a moment. Then let's go back to the beginning and recall that the survival of a republic depends on the virtue of its people, that self-government requires self-discipline, and that the human condition necessitates order, meaning that when people do not govern themselves, they will be governed by others. Our nation has created its own untenable situation. Things are changing. There's a pattern that has remained consistent throughout history. When things change, they change first slowly and subtly, then all of a sudden. The groundwork is laid over an extended period of time, but once it's in place, everything happens fast. The night is long, the day is long, but when the sun rises and sets, it happens first slowly and subtly, then very quickly. Conditions seem to be changing faster and faster now. The acceleration is almost palpable. The left has spent decades preparing, and now, see how hard they've pounced after Biden officially became president-elect and control of Congress went their way. They didn't even wait for the elected to take their seats. What sets a constitutional republic apart is the boundaries that are set. Most decisions are made through some form of majority rule, but tyranny of the majority is mitigated by limits on what that majority is allowed to do. Big business has not been held to the same standard. They have been left free to violate nearly all constitutional rights at will, a freedom they have taken full advantage of. They profit from leftist politics, and leftist politics profits from them. It's a relationship being used to circumvent our constitutional protections and submit us to the oldest forms of despotism. If it remains unchecked, that relationship will continue to succeed wherever it holds influence in suppressing dissent until constitutional protections cease to be meaningful. At the federal level, these constitutional protections have been violated, every last one, and the depths of those violations is about to increase exponentially. 
Biden and Harris each have their own agenda on that front. Among other things, Biden wants to gut our right to the tools of self-preservation in violation of the Second Amendment. Harris wants to take our right to private property in the name of equity. Next week, the Democrat Party, which operates in near-perfect lockstep, will control the executive and legislative branches of the federal government. The next place to secure our rights is at the state level. Make no mistake, like rats fleeing a sinking ship, the same people who have supported and advocated these leftist abuses will abandon their failing states in favor of greener pastures in the free states. The answer is not to close borders and bar entry. The answer is to shore up state constitutions to ensure that when, not if, but when, those leftists emigrate, our state constitutions prevent them from enacting the same failed policies they're fleeing. All right, I'm going to leave it there. As always, you can find me on Twitter and hopefully parlor again soon, at Real End of the Fray. Mark your calendar. I have another short bonus episode coming Thursday. Till then, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Thank you.